Some of us, like I like to do sometimes, it's my go-to is sleep. I just say, man, if it's a rough day, I'm just going to take a nap. The problem is I wake up from that nap. And the problem's still there, looming over me. So I take another nap. I'm kidding, I don't. You know, those things, we do, we do the weirdest things instead of just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's this situation, here's this problem. That's what true worship is, is that you worship before you get react to trials in our lives as believers. So often we will worry and fret, racking our brains, stretching the limits of our reason and strength to try to solve the problem. In those times, we may not feel like praying, let alone worshiping. As Pastor Mark continues to examine the story of Hannah in today's passage, we are reminded of the power of praise in the midst of hardship. We know from the example of Job that despite the worst circumstances, we don't have to lose faith in God. Satan will purposefully test our dedication and God allows it as an opportunity for us to grow in our faith. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and join Pastor Mark with part one of his message, Giving God Back His Gift. 1 Samuel, turn your Bibles there, and we're going to pick up in verse 19. Here we go. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord yearly the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, and then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have let him to the Lord, lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord, and I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. Is there any rock like our God? If you remember from last week, what we had talked about a little bit is that Elkanah and and Hannah, and and we talked about uh, Peninnah, and how they were on their way to sacrifice, and, and how in the week before we talked about sometimes we take matters into our own hands, and we really mess things up like Elkanah did. He he loves Hannah. Hannah, obviously, being his first wife, 
Um, we know that she was unable to bear children. And one of the key verses in that was that the Lord had closed her womb and how we had talked about how sometimes the Lord just kind of closes things off and doesn't allow things to happen in our lives right away as we think they should. And so he uses that time and that blessing that he will give at a later moment to glorify and exalt himself. And then um, last week, we talked about the vow that she had made. And it says in, in verse 11, it says, Then she made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant. And basically, Paul calls himself a, a bondservant. So, you know, we as Christians, what do, you, do you just worship the Lord on Sundays to show up on Sundays for some kind of a message when you think you might need one? Or is it something you do daily? Is it something that you consider on a daily basis when you think about God, think about what God has done for you in your life? Are you worshiping him? Are you his servant? Are you given over to him in such a way? When, when you think about that, it says in verse 12, and it happened as, as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. And that's one of the funny things when you read these verses that we read today where Hannah talks about her praying and don't you remember me? I was the one who was praying at the door. When you look at that, you have to think, man, that might have been a really odd thing to happen in those days because not probably a lot of people showed up at the, at the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. It was a tent. It wasn't a solid building to pray. It was probably weird for him to see somebody show up and actually do that. And so today in verse 19, it talks about them rising early in the morning, getting up early, and they're on their way back to Ramah. They're going back home. The feast is over. They would rise up early in the morning. They would show up at the temple here at this point in time when, in the morning when the priests would be offering the burnt offering. So Elkanah and his family arose early to worship there as the burnt offering was being given. And so, you know, I, I think it's cool that her and Elkanah worshiped before she became pregnant. When you think about this, that they worshiped the Lord, not afterwards, but before she got pregnant. They worshiped together as a family before she, she's pregnant. She didn't allow her situation, her circumstance, to, to hold her back. And if you, if you read a, a behind, if you look at what we studied last week, you can see why. Because she had gone to the Lord in prayer in a heavy heart and anguish. Where, where do you turn? And that's what we talk about is where do we turn? Who do we turn to? Or where do we turn when things don't go our way, when life is rough? Some of us turn inward. We say nothing. We stay in our homes. We don't communicate with anyone. Some of us might turn to alcohol or drugs, and that only leads to more problems. Some of us, like I like to do sometimes, it's my go-to is sleep. I just say, man, if it's a rough day, I'm just going to take a nap. Problem is, I wake up from that nap, and the problem's still there looming over me. So I take another nap. I'm kidding, I don't. You know, those things, we do, we do the weirdest things instead of just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's this situation, here's this problem. That's what true worship is, is that you worship before you get. You, you begin to worship the Lord. Let's say maybe somebody's wanting to buy a house or a car or, or come out of a circumstance. And, well, sometimes we won't worship until after it happens. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, we should be praising the Lord. This morning somebody told me something happened to them, and I looked at them, and I said, well, praise the Lord that that didn't happen to you, that you didn't get what you wanted. And it's just one of those things. And it wasn't a shock to the person that I said that to because they knew that it was, yeah, I did praise the Lord because there's an opportunity for me to witness more where I'm at and do this at where I'm at. And there is. Praise the Lord that God doesn't give you everything you ask for. How many guys, I can only relate to guys on this situation, when you were in high school, 
you had a girlfriend. How many of you are like, praise the Lord, I didn't marry her, and she didn't let that prayer come true? I've seen my high school girlfriends, and I'm like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, that that didn't happen. Because I remember in high school, like, oh, God, please, this is the one. This is the one. I can't tell you how many ones that there were. There's so many. Not that many. Maybe two. But there were two. That's more than one. More than most of you guys would ever have. But anyway, (laughs) don't be making fun of me. But, you know, what I'm saying is, like, we pray for these things to happen, and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen, and we are like, oh, bummed out. Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, man, I, and I feel horrible. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Other times, we just take matters in our hands and we go for it. And then we wonder why our life is a mess. And that's what happened with Elkanah and his two wives and having to put up with two women in the house. You know, we talked about those things, the, who gets the second remote control to the garage door opener and who gets this and that. But true worship is a response to God for who he is That's what true worship is. True worship is a response to God for who he is, not for what he does. So hopefully we're all true worshipers. A false worshiper would be somebody that worshiped God for what he does. Now you could say, well, we do worship God for what he has done on the cross, yes. And what he's going to do, sure. But true response to God is for who he is, for who God is. Remember, we learned a term a few studies ago, the Lord of hosts. What that means, the the Lord of hosts is he's in charge of the world. He's the creator. He's in charge of all the angelic beings. He's in charge of your life. If you say, I've given it over to you, if you truly have, then he's in charge of that. And you should allow him to be instead of trying to grab that little miserable life that we have back and forth and back and then wonder, oh man, I can't figure out why life is so rough because it is, it's rough. See, we don't worship God for what he does. Even if we we don't get our own way, he is still the Lord and he still deserves worship, whether it be in songs of praise or whatever. He is still the Lord and he deserves our worship, no matter what. And so how do you worship the Lord? Do people see you worshiping when you're standing in line? And that doesn't mean you're standing there, hallelujah. You don't have to do that. But you could be happy and glad and, and somebody's upset and be like, hey, you know, can I pray for you? Is there something I can pray for you about? I bumped into a guy today. I asked my guys this morning, the guys in, in our leadership meeting this morning, I said, what do you think the most important thing in my week was? What do you think it was? And I gave him multiple choice. I said, was it trying to help a family that's here in our fellowship? Was that the most important? Was it the men's retreat? Was it my own family? Was it payroll for my guys? Was it my company? Was it trying to get a new job? the mechanic that fixed my truck. And everybody chose wrong. Some people chose the men's retreat. Some people chose helping a family. But that wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing in my week was the mechanic who worked on my truck, who doesn't know the Lord, who said he had just kind of stepped away from the Lord when I'd asked him if he knew the Lord, because I was talking about a church parking lot and a car sitting in it. And he's like, church? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church. So let me ask you a quick question. And so that would be the most important circumstance or the most important part of my week is worrying about whether or not this guy's going to make it to heaven or not. Is that what we are concerned about in our lives? Is the lost going to hell? Are we concerned about those people? I've never thought about that. But now that you mention it, that'd be a good thing to think about. And yes, it would. 
Uh, we, we as Christians feel that we earn some right to, once we get saved, to now it's time to work on comfortable things. And, you know, Mardell's got these great pictures of Jesus, and I can hang those in the wall, and that shows that I'm spiritual, and they got cool T-shirts and bracelets and music and books. But it's not about us anymore. It's about others. It's about those other people. It's about exalting and glorifying God so he can get the credit for saving that life. So what are, we, what are we concerned about in our lives? And so is he still the Lord in your life? You know, has he ever been the Lord in your life? I was reading something the other day about carnal Christians, and, and this guy is praying in, in his church, and they're praying for the Christians that who never really grasp hold of the gospel and what it truly means and what it means in the life of an individual. As, as your pastor, what's it mean to me? Is it the greatest story ever told, or is it the greatest salvation ever, the buying back of a lost soul. It is. That's what it means to me. It's the greatest. And so here, when we look at Hannah and we try to relay this back and we come back to Hannah's soul must have been rejoicing in this time of worship as she's preparing to go back home after she had had an encounter with Eli the priest, but not just the priest, with God himself. She met God at the temple. And she's been rejoicing. We can see that her fervent prayer to the Lord caused her to be comforted. I can say prayer, true prayer, can seriously settle a person's heart. I've had a heart that's been unsettled before, and I just went to the Lord in prayer. It took a little while. It doesn't happen instantly. It's not a quick fix. But neither is a shot of whiskey or a 12-pack of beer. It takes a little while to get the buzz rolling. Medication takes a little while to work. And so, you know what? It's not a quick fix. It takes a little while. But do we go to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, here I am. I'm not having a great time. Life's rough. So what Hannah does is Hannah redirects her worries. She redirected her heart. And when you and I replace our concern with prayer, we call that, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, casting. Remember Peter talked about it? Casting all of our cares upon him. Peter, being a fisherman, would know how to cast a net, how to throw, how to put all those cares upon the Lord. And I find that the first thing we should attempt is the last thing that we do oftentimes. You will hear people, and and you might have heard it, say, you know, well, all I can do now is pray. It's like, really, that's your last choice? That should have been your first go-to. And so what do we do as Christians? I mean, do people see us as those who go to the Lord as a last resort? Or or do they see us as the person that goes to the Lord as the first thing? We should go to the Lord as the very first thing. God says he's a jealous God. You see the offering of the first fruits. Key word in that, first. First thing in the morning, you worship the Lord when you wake up. Not yourself, not what what your hair look like. All that's important. Sometimes you do get up and you get ready, but have your quiet time before you walk out of the house. We've been talking lately this week with some of the guys and a couple of people. Is You know, you think about the armor of God. It talks about that, and we, we're to put on the armor of God, and it talks about all that stuff, but some people have their quiet time midday. They put on their armor midday in the battle when one arm's missing, and all you can do is hang on to the shield and, and stop blows from hitting you instead of being able to fight back. Because it's midday. Some in the evening, once the battle has already been had and you're beat up, almost dead, your head's nearly severed, and you're going to put the armor on. I mean, what good soldier would go out to battle and put on his armor after the battle's over? I mean, you would think 
he's probably not in his right mind. Maybe we shouldn't let this guy run out in front anymore because he's going to be the first one picked off. But there's a lot of picked off Christians that are just laying there bleeding and wondering why, oh, this hurts. Dude, don't you think if you'd had some armor on that arm, that severed wound there that you have that's gushing blood wouldn't happen. But, you know, it's really not a flesh wound. It's our mouths and our minds that start to gush forth. Oh, I can't believe God would do that. I often find when I don't have my quiet time in the mornings, the next day I try to pick up where I left off, and there it is, the verse of the day that would have helped me yesterday. Oh, if only I'd have read that. And the Lord's like, well, if only it's too late, move on to today. Catch up. I'm still here. I'm still on my throne. I'm still looking after you. I find that the first thing we should do and attempt is the last thing we tend to do. We should pray. I think it's cool that Samuel had parents that made worship a lifestyle. This is for you, moms and dads. It doesn't matter how old your kids are right now. Make worship a lifestyle. Let them start to see that. Let them see a change in your life. Let them see how God is in control. Abraham Lincoln said for parents to train up a child in the way he should go, he must walk that way himself. That's an awesome saying. If you're going to train up your children in the way they should go, don't depend on the Christian school that they go to. Don't depend on our children's ministry. That's up to you. That's up to you to train them up. And maybe you're old enough and maybe you're like, well, my parents aren't really doing it. Then you get on to it. You get busy and train yourself up. My parents weren't Christians. My mom came to the Lord after I got saved. And so I had a lot of catching up to do. And I still do. So you will never get a full handle on this. And so it's a great thing to train up your children. Work hard at that. That should be the first and foremost. Look at verse 20. It says, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. His name means God heard. God heard. Verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, in these days, it was typical that if you had a boy, you would stay home about seven days with him. And if it was a girl, you would stay home for 14 days. Now, I have no idea why. I just thought that was interesting, thought I'd throw it in there. But then 33 days later, an offering would be made for your child. But here we have the child weaned first, so it would be different. You would, wean your, you would make your offering 33 days after the birth of the child, but here we have Hannah doing it a little different. She weans her child first, and so between three and five years old is when a kid would be weaned in, in, this, in this culture. Between three and five years old is when a kid would be weaned. And, and when you think about it, it's a really great concept, the word weaning, and it means like nurturing them, not just feeding them, and, 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 but it means it's a nurturing of them. And so if you have young children, please nurture them. If you have small kids, nurture those kids. It's important for you to nurture them, and that means to spend concentrated time with them. We, we've seen what happens with the idea that, well, it's not about the quantity of time. It's about the quality of time, and I disagree wholeheartedly with that, wholeheartedly. It's about how much time you spend with them because it it's quality. 
to a kid. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a little bit of time. It's, it's quality time. And the more you get to spend with your children, the better off they'll be. You have a small window of opportunity, and, and here's why. Because there's a period of that child's life where you, mom and dad, are everything to that kid, those kids. You are everything. And they're going to let you in that world for only a limited time. Then there's a time where it's all about their peers. If you guys have teenagers, you know uh, uh, your, your son or your daughter's best friend, she or he could be the dumbest person in the world and tell your kid to do something. He's going to take it as gospel truth. We got some teenagers over there giggling that are best friends and going, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's true. I was that kid. My best friend and I influenced each other to do some of the stupidest things. Walking on railroad tracks over a tall lake on a a railroad bridge when a train's coming. And his foot got caught. Some of you guys met my buddy Randy. And so thinking I was going to save his life, I ran up and pushed him. Heard his leg break. Luckily, I did push him. And we both flew over and landed in some water. And I thought I broke my neck when I hit the water. It was so high up. But we influenced each other. Uh, his dad told us not to walk on that bridge. I was like, what's your dad know? He's never walked on a bridge like that before. You and I, will get the experience. We'll live to tell about it. We never made it across. Randy got a broken leg, and I wished my leg would have been broken after the beating I'd gotten. But it is. You only have a, a, a limited shelf life with your children. Their peers will become more important. They will begin to listen to their best friends more than you, mom and dad. And even though you know more than their friends, for some weird reason, they still listen. Uh, Some of you are like, well, yeah, I'll take a belt to that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter a whole lot. They'll change for that moment, but those friends are still there. And you have a limited shelf life to be everything to that kid and train them in the way that they should go but you got to be walking in that way as well. So that changes real quickly because of the peers and their view of the peers, and they'll have, those peers begin to have a greater influence and more, important, a more important voice than yours. Nurturing means a concentrated time with spiritual training. When we see this word weaned in, in the Hebrews, what it means is it's a nurturing with some spiritual training involved. And so a mom would spend time with her child, her baby, holding it, nursing that baby, spending that time there. And that job belongs to every mother and father. It's easier to build a kid than to repair an adult. I can't tell you how many adults come and they got all kinds of things wrong with their life. And it's like, wow, man, just think, if your mom and dad would have just done these things, you would have had this and that. We wouldn't have had to put a patch on that area of your life. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new additions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, 
We'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid back group of Jesus followers and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible right here on Come Alive.